Listeners, start your engines. episode 52 rob here on this episode lauren knight of that movie is fine joins us to discuss 2001's planet of the apes from director tim burton uh the sixth of nine movies in the planet of the apes mega series as we're making our way through the history of that sci-fi franchise etc not covering the tv shows but everything else is fair game so this is going to be an interesting one because this movie has a reputation and uh, a, a lot of people consider it a turning point for Tim Burton's career and a pretty awful movie. So we'll see what Lauren and I have to say about it. As always, you can find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, and other podcatchers, as well as CrookedTable.com. Go ahead and give us a rating and review wherever you're listening to this. For now, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer and then jump into our conversation about 2001's Planet of the Apes. One day they'll tell a story, and some will say it was just a fairy tale about a human who came from the stars and changed our world. have a soul. <laughs> Is there a soul in there? It's disgusting the way we treat humans. How the hell did they get like this? What other way would they be? If they see you on the street, they kill you on sight. You stay here, you're already dead. Which way are you from? United States Air Force. I'm going back. Some humans have escaped. Is there another way out of the city? I can show you the way. They travel with a declare martial law. We underestimate this human. The hell are they? Your story is spreading through the villages. They all want to see this human who defies the apes. Full division! Full battle ready! It's over. There's no help coming. You came. Sound the call to march! Get me the spaceman. Welcome to Franchise Detours, where we believe no movie series travels in a straight line. On this episode, we are continuing to travel through the planet of the apes, Nine movies spanning more than five decades, and we're talking now about the 2001 reimagining, I guess, is what they were branding this thing as uh, in 2001 when, like, when it came out. Uh, Tim Burton version of Planet of the Apes starring Marky Mark, as we'll get into, I'm sure, in depth. And I am honored to welcome back to the show Lauren Knight from That Movie is Fine. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. Uh, I'm actually looking forward to talking about this one. Um, and, uh, yeah, thank you. You can find me at, uh, Twitter and Instagram and Letterboxd. That movie is fine. And I also have a podcast, um, that I co-host with my buddy, Aaron, and you can find us on Instagram at that movie is fine podcast. And this would be an interesting one for our podcast 
as well. Uh, so this might give me some ideas. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, of course. Uh, I, I think it this franchise has been an interesting one because as we were sort of uh, talking about right before we hit record here, the original film is obviously is a classic spawned four sequels that no one talks about except the people that have joined me on this podcast. Uh, this movie that did well and then disappeared and then is now back in full force. And so it's like, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens next for this franchise, which has kind of gone all over the place. And in doing these conversations, I've realized like how much of an innovator in a way the Planet of the Apes movies were because that first one and that second one, uh, came out at a time where there weren't really movies franchises. There weren't a lot of these continuous, like come back next time for another adventure in the planet of the apes. <laughs> that wasn't a thing in the, in the late sixties, early seventies. And those first few movies take some inc incredibly weird turns, um, which people will have heard me talk about by now, but yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm glad that you came on for this one. This is one of the ones, honestly, I was, worried it was going to be hard to find someone to talk about because either people haven't seen it and they don't care or they have seen it and they're like no I'm good I don't I don't need to go back and watch that <laughs> um so what is your what is your history just for context with uh with Planet of the Apes uh, as a franchise so the very first Planet of the Apes movie I ever saw was actually this one the 2001 Same. Burton one yeah um I was in about 10th grade uh, when it came out, um, I, like every other, you know, high school aged girl who was in drama club was obsessed with Tim Burton. Uh, <laughs> so I was very excited to see this one in theaters. I knew nothing of the original except for how it ends, because obviously right. the ending has been like parodied and it's just so iconic. Uh, but I, I never really bothered or had any interest in, in seeing the original. I went solely for like Tim Burton and then the, it really has a stellar cast. Um, yeah, but yeah, so this was my first experience with Planet of the Apes. And then I saw the, like the reboot, I guess, cause this was technically maybe supposed, you said reimagining. That's what they called it. Cause they're okay. like, it's, cause it's, it's like a re it's like, they hadn't really coined the term reboot for film, I think just yet. And okay. it's a remake, but none of the characters are the same. It's just, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird choice. tries to strike a weird balance. Yeah. Which we'll get into. So then I, I saw the, uh, I don't know in what order. I think I Rise saw all is, four is or like, I'm trying to think that, of yeah. years. I saw all four, four. Three. three. There's, there's a fourth one coming next year. Yeah. Okay. So I saw all three of the like reboot once or whatever. <laughs> that's the appropriate. <laughs> the terminology they're gets sketchy. Yeah. They're also not, you know, like remakes. It takes right. place like on earth. Um, so I saw all of those. And then um, when I worked for the Alamo Draft House as a film programmer, which was also how I saw these reboot ones because like Alamo would do advanced screenings, you know, from time to time for certain mm -hmm. movies. So we had some advanced screenings of of the new Planet of the Apes ones. But um, I saw the OG in 35 millimeter, um, nice. which was, in my opinion, like the way to see it, especially for the first time. Um, back in like, I don't know, 2019, maybe 2018. So really the original one is the last one I had seen. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I this was the first one I saw as well. Oh, I was okay. actually working at uh, AMC Theaters when this came out from 2001 to 2003. I was working part-time uh, at the AMC Theaters. That's still the theater I go to now, so it's been weird over the last couple of decades to see how much everything has changed. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I then went back and watched the original film like probably that summer or that same year or whatever. And then saw the the uh, the three new ones and then went back at some point after the most recent film and watched the sequels. And I found them really interesting. And then I had the idea of doing this podcast. So I kind of added that in the mix and it's been wild for me to get finally get to them. Uh, so yeah, now, so now I'm working my way through them all again. I'm seeing most of them for just a second time. And yeah, I, I didn't know much about this except for exactly what you said, like the, the makeup, the ending, mm -hmm. but I was obviously as again, a big Tim Burton fan. Uh, this is a lot of the point where a lot of people are like, Oh, and that was where Tim Burton's career started to take a turn. Um, but up until the, till this point, it was all Batman and Beetlejuice and, uh, you know, wood and sleepy hollow and like the good, the good shit basically from Tim Burton, the stuff that even the people that don't really like Tim Burton that much were like, well, those were good. Um, yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. And Ed Wood. Yeah. Did you say Ed Wood? Yeah. I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> of course. Gotta say Ed, Ed Wood. Um, so yeah. So going into this, what was your initial reaction when you saw it then? And kind of what are your overall thoughts now having, re having to rewatch it for this podcast? <laughs> um, so honestly, I went in with an open mind. Again, I was excited. I went in not knowing that I was supposed to hate this movie. Right. I never really, I read Entertainment Weekly and Rolling Stone like religiously, but I never really, especially like in 10th grade, like knew much about film, but then also like I never, you know, there was no social media to follow critics yeah. and things, but I didn't know that this one was supposed to be, you know, that I was supposed to come out here like panning it because right. I don't, I don't agree with the knee jerk reaction that it's awful. Mm -hmm. Um, and rewatching it last night, really, I actually enjoyed it. I, I remembered some things differently, which is always a weird phenomenon. Like I remembered the ending, but I remembered it happening in a different way. Like, mm -hmm. so I don't know why I, the wires in my brain somewhere along the line of t last 20 years have gotten crossed. Um, but there were a few things that kind of made me cringe like I could maybe see what they were trying to do but it didn't right. quite late but I mean when we're talking about you know Russia at war with Ukraine when we're talking about you know the Black Lives Matter movement when we're talking about all these things uh LGBTQ community under attack and like trans and drag queens like it kind of seemed ahead of its time because mm -hmm. those were those all were issues that while they existed and were problem, you know, there were there were problems and, and there was not like equal treatment that was not really outspoken 20 years ago. Right. So I feel like the movie probably carried a different weight with it. Um, like, you know, everyone always wants to go towards like racism or something when you're talking about like the apes versus humans. But yeah. Um, yeah. I thought it was actually rel like more relevant today than 20 years ago. There are some, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you said more for the most part. Like when I saw this as a, a teenager, like I 
I liked it a lot. I used to have this on DVD, actually. And uh, regarding the twist or something that was in the DVD that, that kind of explained it, which we'll get to later. But um, but yeah, so I, I also was a fan of it. I was also a big Entertainment Weekly reader at the time. And I most mostly enjoyed this movie at the, uh, you know, over the years. And I think my attitude really soured on it because I guess I was, I, I, I don't know. I feel like, I guess I felt pressure to, uh, as a 20 something to like, well, I guess it's bad now. Right. We don't like right. that. Like what's going on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's watching it now in context with the other movies, like it, it does feel very different from those original five movies. Um, and I think that the, the, the reception at the time was split because the movie critics who had already seen those original films had the context historical of where this franchise was at the, at that point. Uh, I think they were like, no, I, there just, just doesn't, you know, it doesn't honor the, the legacy of the, the other movies, et cetera, or whatever. Cause I, I do think those movies, there's a certain charm to that old makeup. They, they really do balance sort of B movie aesthetics and concepts with like, with the social commentary and the sort of allegory that, that, that for the most part, a lot of times was applied. Yes. Was applied to race. Um, especially in, you know, in those early movies. Right. But here, here it, it's like weirdly tries to split the difference. Like it's, it both changes too much and too little at the same time. It's like, if you're going to re resurrect this, this franchise, I feel like they should have just done something drastically different instead of what this is. It's just basically the same premise as the original film, but then they change a bunch of other things. I, it's, I don't know. It feels sort of misaligned, with how with how you would re, re you know rebrand this for a modern audience, uh, I do like the point that you mentioned uh, that it feels more feels more relevant. And I think that one of the good changes was the Ari character played by Helena Bonham Carter in this movie is more of like sort of uh, she's, she's the daughter of the senator and she's she's you know privileged, but she she's sort of an activist. Like I think that was an interesting angle. The closest analog we have to her in the original film is. Zira and she's a scientist who tests on humans. So that, that movie is really more of a kind of a kind of commenting on animal testing and, and that sort of thing. Fears of nuclear war. These are all things that the, the original movies talk about more because they were more in the zeitgeist at the time. Uh, but yeah, no, I, there are certain elements of this movie where you can, it's like the ideas were there, but the execution wasn't quite where it should have been. I think. Yeah, I agree with you. I think um, this one Again, I, I didn't have time to like rewatch the original, but also we aren't right. here to discuss, you know, exactly. the, the original. But um, this one was more, well, A, they wanted to make it more action oriented, right? Mm -hmm. Like they wanted more action scenes and stuff, but they focused more on kind of the military. Um, yeah. Like the the politics in a way, like, and 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 the world building I thought was was effective, um, and then they made it more of like a militaristic society. Um, and, and those elements are in the original movies to an extent. I think one thing that they're missing is that, uh, in the original film, the, 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 they're missing the, the third element there. Like there was science, there was military and those were the chimpanzees and the gorillas. And then the orangutans were like the politicians, but the politicians were also sort of tied up in religion. And this movie has a, at least attempts to to comment on the religious part of ape society 
But I feel like there's not really an avatar for that. There's not a character that represents that arc. And so it feels sort of like uh, like it's missing something there. I can see that. I I disagree with you a little bit when you had said mm-hmm. about, um, you know, if they're going to do it, they might as well have done something like completely different. Mm-hmm. I was I was thinking that I at least respect the movie for trying to not just be a remake, right? Yeah. And yeah, I yeah, think- totally. I think part of why people don't like it might have to do with the ending. And I know we're going to talk about it, but definitely I read a synopsis of the book because obviously like the movie was based on a book uh, Mm. and it's more in line with the book's ending. So the ending that everyone always thinks of like is iconic was actually like not how the book ended. It was how Hollywood ended the movie. It was Rod um, Serling that, of, of the Twilight Zone being like, we need to really throw people off. Yeah, was, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think some people were maybe upset with how it ended. And I I kind of respect the movie for not being just a rehash. Like, I really thought that they did try to write in some different, uh, like, beats or or, you know uh, story, story points. Yeah. The, the twist for me was never, uh, was never the issue. Like I think, I think the twist is interesting. Uh, and like we said, we'll get to that. I think the part of it looking at now looking holistically at the franchise doing this, this series of episodes is part of the issue is kind of what I said. Like it's, it, it puts so so much focus on trying to be like an action epic, Mm -hmm. uh, that it doesn't, it doesn't have as much, it doesn't have as much, thought into the ideas or, or what the movie's trying like what is this what would you say that this movie's trying to say like I feel it's all muddled together there's like six different things that are going on simultaneously and I don't really feel like they completely gel if I had to pinpoint one major flaw it's Mark Wahlberg's performance I mean <laughs> I think that's that's the easy target here it's that you where do you land on Marky Mark in this movie and does he effectively carry it or or not? Does he like, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Cause I, I think that's the big issue. Um, I think, I mean, I think he's fine. I think he's right. just being Mark Wahlberg. Like there are some performances of his that I really do enjoy. Right. Or mm-hmm. some performances that I think might stretch him as an actor. Like I actually think he does comedy really well. Yeah. Um, and you know, I liked him in pain and gain. But again, there was, you know, obviously some comedy in there. I think, you know, he wasn't the the original actor. Um, like Mark, Mark Wahlberg was actually supposed to be in Ocean's Eleven, uh, but then li- backed out to take this role instead, which I think for Ocean's Eleven's fans was a good idea because then we got Matt Damon. So we yep. got like that whole Matt Damon took over the like Wahlberg character in Ocean's Eleven. So um, Wahlberg left that to do Planet of the Apes. I mean, I think he's fine. I think he's, it's hard to separate Mark Wahlberg from the character he's playing, especially in the 20 years that we've all gotten to know Mark Wahlberg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what I thought, like, I don't know what I thought of him 20 years ago. Like seeing this movie in a theater, I never like had a crush on Marky Mark. Like I never cared one way or the other. And he wasn't the reason I was seeing the movie. Yeah. Um, but I do, I do agree with you. I think Mark was not 
there there were not a lot of character beats or like characterization that kind of he sort of redeems himself at the end, but still also like insults them. I don't know. It's you're <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I mean, the thing is that the, those first movies, and again, I keep referencing that because that's where this was. That's where this franchise was at this time, even though it had been a long time and all of us, you know, you and I included hadn't really seen those original movies and were mostly going into this blind, yeah. which I think, I think they were counting on. Um, and this is probably how, why this turned a profit. Cause a lot of the older fans might've not responded to it the same way is that those movies, they're playful. They have personality. And in comparison, this one feels really sort of self-serious and sort of dry, but then it has moments where it's trying to be playful. And Mark Wahlberg's performance is so to me kind of flat. And yet, Tim Roth is really hamming it up and Paul Giamatti is really, really hamming it up. <laughs> and, and Helena Bonham, like they're, I think Tim Roth, Helena Bonham Carter and Paul Giamatti kind of get the tone of what this movie could have been more than anyone else. I think Mark Wahlberg is obviously miscast. I do think he's good in things like The Departed, you know, and the, some of those movies that you mentioned. Uh, but it's, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's what do you think of the performances here? Like, do who who carries this movie for you? Um, I was kind of just fascinated. I do have to say, like, I was very happy with the Rick Baker like effects makeup holding up. Hundred yeah. percent. Um, and I know they had to rush some of the other like special effects, like computer generated effects, because Fox didn't want to budge on their release date for this movie. But I honestly thought overall, like, the effects weren't that bad. Um, I was just, I was fascinated by Tim Roth because I also didn't really know who he was when I was in 10th grade. Mm -hmm. Like I hadn't seen, you know, Reservoir Dog. Like I wasn't completely familiar with him. Um, and so now like being a huge Tim Roth fan and seeing him in all of these movies over the last, you know, 20 years, it was really fascinating to see him move like I was honestly yeah because the new because the new ones we have now right we've got ape emulating stunt performers right mm -hmm. like we've got yeah. humans that are dressed in the green screen you know dots the motion cap stuff so yeah. everything is all animated but like they're moving like apes like I'm imagining Tim Roth and Helena Bonham Carter and even um uh like Tim Burton player Lisa Marie who plays the the wife of the uh like a uh, orangutan like at the dinner scene? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's Lisa Marie and like she does that romantic like veil <laughs> mating dance and right. stuff like it's all just so absurd, but I mean, I think Tim Roth and and Helena really do found it. Yes. Um Paul Giamatti, I mean, I love Paul Giamatti. I just don't know <laughs> He's trying to have fun, at least. I respect that. Yeah, in no, a movie where everyone fun, is so... But like, no one, yeah. <laughs> no one else... Like, he's definitely there for the for the comic relief. He's in his own movie, kind yeah. of, at times. And, yeah. and I mean, maybe it works. Maybe it would have... I don't know. Maybe just because it's Paul Giamatti and he has such a definitive look, even in ape makeup. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I've never... Mark Wahlberg is like I said, like he's he's fine. I think you're right. I think he's just kind of there. Uh, yeah. I've never been a fan of Estella Warren. Yeah, no. Same. Um, 
So honestly, the humans are the least interesting. Chris Christopherson is like poorly used, in my opinion, mm -hmm. like completely yeah. underutilized. Um, you get the sense a lot of these people just wanted to work with Tim Burton. They were like, what? Tim Burton's doing Planet of the Apes? Oh, man. Oh, yeah. You oh, know, no. What is the script? Because, yeah, Chris yeah. Christopherson said that uh, he was quoted as saying, Tim Burton is a hero of mine. I have eight kids and we've all seen all of his films many times. Mm -hmm. So I think, and I, I think, you know, Tim Burton was doing something different in this. It doesn't look like a Tim Burton film. It doesn't feel like a Tim Burton film. I mean, yeah. sure you have Danny Elfman's music, but you don't have like the the color palette. You don't have the patterns of like the costuming patterns. It's no black and white stripes. Exactly. No, no black and white stripes. What's going no, on? Like curly Q Nautilus, you know, like right. <laughs> shapes. Um, yeah, I think for me, it's the actors portraying the apes that really are so committed. Cause I just, when you think about it, the whole premise is just silly. Yeah. I think that's why the original movie, like as, as blown away as I was by how good it was, I was like, these people look ridiculous. Like <laughs> humans dressed as apes. Like it just, it's so silly. Mm -hmm. And this movie like the way Tim Roth like jumps on the back of his horse and the, like it's all, all of these so apes jump like a half a football field across the battlefield <laughs> in, in act three. I was like, wow, that wire work is like insane. I know. And it just, the whole thing is just so silly, but I also couldn't look away because I'm fascinated with practical effects. Yeah. Same. And I think that movie is like a time capsule because obviously what we've gotten now is all motion capture Mm -hmm. And I think if we had actors do it, there probably would have been like a Pirates of the Caribbean situation where it would have been like maybe part prosthetic, but then also part CGI. Yeah. You know? Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a weird little film. <laughs> these are, all of these movies are weird. And a lot of what you're saying, I feel like applies to any movie in this franchise, particularly when you mentioned that the apes are way more compelling than the humans. That is something that I think in almost every episode of this mega series that I've recorded, uh, I think that comes up almost every single time. Like the people are fine. Like even in the first one, Charlton Heston, also a limited actor, also in this film. So we should get to him in a second. Um, all, you know, he's fine, but it's Cornelius, it's Zaius, it's Zira. Those are the characters who one have the makeup effects back then that, hold up the most because what happens is the main like three to five apes in each of those first few movies mm -hmm. look pretty okay. Like giving them, you know, judge grading on a curve considering that was so long ago and they didn't have Rick Baker. Uh, they look all right, but everyone else, like all the background apes, it's just like they went down the street to the costume shop and threw something on. <laughs> it's, it's really embarrassing <laughs> when they have their scenes in some of those later movies where there's like hordes of apes coming out and like there's like a revolution happening and you, and everyone looks awful. All of the background people. Um, so yeah, the, the makeup here is next level and I think you can really kind of trace the technological advancement throughout this franchise from then to the mocap thing. It's, I think it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting through line. And at least with uh, General Thade and Ari, I think that they're, their perspectives are clear. Like we understand who Thade is pretty much from the jump. We understand who Ari is. Like I said, they're leaning into the whole activist thing. 
I, I think it's it's interesting that that you have General Thade, who's who's the military leader, but then you also have Tim Roth playing whom who's so anti-gun, like like vehemently anti-gun in real life. And the whole movie really has that feels like it has that message because it's the gun that the uh, his father, played by Charlton Heston, has in like you know hidden in like what is that a vase or something? He has it hidden in his room. Yeah, uh, it's a historical artifact that is supposed to represent sort of the 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 violence that man is capable of and our our propensity for for you know self destruction and all that other stuff. Which in the original movies, that was way more, um, that focus was more put on nuclear weapons in the second one, especially in Beneath the Planet of the Apes. There's a whole, there's a nuclear weapon in there that actually plays kind of a key role in the plot. Um, so it's interesting now with this movie coming out in 2001, a couple years after Columbine, certainly a couple decades prior to every other mass shooting that has happened since then, that they, they really lean into the gun violence part of it. Um, having Charlton Heston, leader of the NRA at this point, uh, in the movie being like, watch out for humans. There's, they are capable of guns. You don't know what, <laughs> you don't know what they can do. And, uh, and Tim Roth even said, you know, it, that it was, it was uncomfortable for him shooting that scene because of how they feel differently about gun violence. And, and apparently later said that if he had known he would have been in a scene with Charlton Heston, that he wouldn't, might, might not have even taken the project. That's fascinating because I did not yeah. know that about Tim Roth. Um, I mean, especially when you think about a lot of the roles he's done. Mm-hmm. Um, at least, you know, especially in like the Tarantino ones, the the right. violence that he's brought and the the guns that he's used. Like it's not just like fisticuffs violence or like right. bazooka violence. It's like actual gun violence. So that's really interesting uh, I also had no idea because he remains uncredited. I still mm-hmm. didn't know that that was Charlton Heston. So yeah. I just learned something. Uh, but they have, and they have him reprise this damn them, damn them all to hell line from the end of the first movie. That's the most obvious callback, I guess, in this, which, eh, you know, those are, those usually feel very ham fisted in this one kind of, I think it's just a way of the, it's just Tim Burton's way of letting people know, Hey, this is Charlton Heston. Remember when he said that in the original film? Uh, but yeah, so yeah, it's it's him I didn't and realize that was actually Heston. I thought yeah. it was just a callback line because there's I, I I know he's under all that makeup. Yeah. And he and he's not at all credited. You'd think it would be like with or you know, like with Charlton Heston, like as you're going through yeah. all of the credits or something, or at least have it listed, you know, like in at the end when you're right. listing like all the names. And a special um, appearance by Charlton Heston. Right, exactly. And there is there is the other reference though too where it's but it's reverse where it's get your hands off me you damn dirty human yeah that's which the is other also one like, like mm. the other famous line that everyone know you know except ape which is what everyone knows right um, I think what's what's funny is Tim Roth turned down the role of Severus Snape in the first Harry Potter movie because of this movie yeah. And I think, I think he, it sounds like he's, he signed on to this one first. And so he was like, he could like almost if he wanted to, he couldn't have gotten out of it. Like and maybe that, level. but I mean, that's just fascinating though, to think about like just for another franchise that has almost nine movies in it. Mm-hmm. Would we have had Tim Roth as Severus Snape? 
Like that's Especially, just, I love alternate casting stories and things. And so that's just a, a funny, like, what if that I found amusing. <laughs> and it's especially ironic that because I would say of all of the adult performers in the Harry Potter franchise, that would be the last one anyone would recast. Like everyone is just like, well, Alan Rickman is Sever- RIP. Alan Rickman is Severus Snape. Like that one's kind of locked in. Um, I know. Because of how, well, that's how pivotal that now. character turns into. Yeah. But yeah, in another, exactly. Some other dimension. We're all talking about how like awesome Tim Roth was as Severus Snape or whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> he probably would have been awesome, but would he have made the same impact? I don't know. I know. I don't, yeah. I, I, this is the second Tim Roth role I've seen where he is just like balls to the wall committed to the yeah. role. And I'm blanking on what the other movie was that I, wa- oh, there was a movie that came out. I think it was early 2000s. It might have been 99. Anyway, it was called The Musketeer and it had Mina Suvari. Oh, yeah. I think I saw that in theater. <laughs> in it? Yeah. It was directed by Peter Hyams. And then like D'Artagnan was played by Dr. Alex Karev uh, right. or like the guy who plays Dr. Alex Karev on Grey's Anatomy for like the last 15 years, which is really funny. Um, but Tim Roth plays not, I don't think he plays Richelieu. He plays. Someone else who like D'Artagnan's family Abraham. and like yeah yeah and he chews his way through the whole movie like there's no scenery left whenever he's on screen like I, so, I, he he knows he knows when to employ that side of himself I think yeah because he is. doesn't always he's like oh I, just, I think it's fascinating that he could have viewed either one of these roles like as a paycheck or. He he even rewrote some of his scenes for Planet of the Apes yeah. to be more frightening. So like he really did not phone it in. He was committed to giving a great performance and even rewrote certain things to make him seem scarier. So I think, I he, think he, that's I mean, I yeah, love Tim Roth. Like I have not enough like good things to <laughs> say. Yeah, about no. He's he is he definitely stands out, especially in this movie, which, like I said, needs a kind of a shot in the arm. It needs that energy. It needs someone willing to go to go apeshit, pun intended. <laughs> uh, and and General Thade, I think, even though he has that every line delivered, he has that gravelly whisper. I, I think yes. it works for this character. It feels cartoonish, but again, so is a planet filled with apes already. So it it fits sort of the the tone of this, the general premise of this franchise. And uh, yeah, no, he gives it so much energy. And uh, that moment at the end when he finally picks up the gun and he's ready to try to shoot Leo, uh, Leo Davidson, played by Mark Wahlberg, not Leo DiCaprio, who's also in The Departed. Um, <laughs> That's um, uh, I, I think that it's kind of a chilling turn. It's it's. It's meant to be sort of a parallel to humanity, obviously, embracing that kind of weaponry, which I think is is interesting. Considering, do you think that that parallel, the whole dynamic between apes and humans and how they evolved from the other, do you think it works here in the same way as it does in the original film, considering that the twist here isn't that this is Earth? Like, do you think it works the same way that knowing that these aren't really Earth apes like what we know it's a different planet entirely. And it's, so they're more, it's more of an alien civilization to begin with. I mean, it worked for like, I, I remember it working for me. Mm-hmm. I think it still does because of how they explain the ending. Like yeah. when the, we can talk about like, we can spoil, right? Like, yep. Go okay. for it. Like the way the, the little chimpanzee finally shows up when he goes through the, 
wormhole and he shows up at the end and they all think that he's like their their the return of their god. Like it is a little confusing because all of the chimpanzee, like all of the apes on the research ship or whatever spaceship that Mark was on that had the research apes, like they were all chimpanzees. So I was a little confused as yeah. to like yeah, how we true. got gorillas and orangutans like in this world. <laughs> was there another wing of the the space station Oberon that we didn't see? Right, because or like the, what was going on? Yeah, the captain or something in the video recording says that they're isolated and uninhabited. Like the planet is uninhabited or something. Right. So it's a little weird. Like the twist is, oh my gosh, these they're the the these chimps are from the original like crash, like through the wormhole that was in the past. Like the timeline's a little weird, but I, I like that except then I'm wondering, well, how did we get orangutans and gorillas then? If you're saying (laughs) that the chimps from the Oberon were the like progenitors. They were, they were on another floor, different (laughs) different division. Uh, Mark was working with the, the U S air force. Maybe the Navy had something going on on a different level. Who the hell knows? Uh, No, but I see, I like all of that. I think it's when, when it's revealed that Kalima, the sort of the, the forbidden area, which in the original movie, there's a forbidden zone. That's where the, the wreckage of the statue of Liberty is on the beach and all of that. There was even sort of a, like some kind of structure on the sand here, which looked like it was clearly sort of an homage to the, the crown of lady Liberty. I thought Um, that too, like it had broken in half and it was like all pointy and jagged. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I noticed that too. Because it, it's such a huge piece of iconography from this franchise. Uh, but but the reveal that Kalima was caution live animals and the the time vortex stuff and like that, I always found that stuff pretty interesting. That it's, I guess, how it works is the the later you leave, the earlier you arrive, and the other in the on Earth, which is why I guess at some point Thade escaped and made his way back there hundreds or thousands of years before and change the course of history, which I think that's kind of an interesting idea. It just feels like the, the storytelling doesn't lay the groundwork for that possibility. Like there's no discussions of time vortex or any, like they don't like they, or whatever you want to call it. There's no speculation from any scientific character in this movie being like, Oh man, it could be a wormhole where you do this. Oh, that's stupid. Nobody believes in that or what? Like that just, there, there needed to be something to lay that out for viewers uh, because what they did is, like I said, I used to have this on DVD. Now I have the Blu-ray box set of all nine movies. Uh, and it, it had a card insert in there with literally, I would have been trying to Google to see if I could say, see somebody that took a picture of it or something um, with literally a diagram explaining how it's sort of like the infinity symbol. How okay. like, if you leave at this point, you get there at this point and, how that that ending makes sense, which that's just poor storytelling. If you have to rely on that in order to be like, hey, hey, it makes sense. Can we make a sequel? Please buy this on DVD. So so that can happen. Um, it reminds me sort of like more recently, The Rise of Skywalker being like, oh, oh, oh we're going to explain that in a comic book series next year so that it makes sense in hindsight. Uh, so, I, yeah, I do you, do you think that ending and the whole concept of that works in this movie or is it is it just kind of half-baked? Because I... I love the idea. It's just, again, the execution, like you don't, you can't leave us completely hanging like that. It just creates, it doesn't create the intended effect. So I will say that one of my weaknesses is time travel. Like same. I 
do not understand it. I <laughs> glaze over when my husband tries to talk to me about it. Like, I don't, I can't grasp the like science behind time travel and like mm-hmm. hypothetical wormholes and things like that. So I'm, I'm okay with, with like that wormhole thing distorting time or bringing him out to like another dimension. Like that part's okay. But the ending, which I do like, and again is closer to the actual book ending. I don't understand how Thade got there. Because like I said, I said earlier, like I had a different ending in my head. Like, for What's some the ending you had in I your head? He and Mark, I thought Fade and Mark Wahlberg were like scrambling for the same like pod. Like I thought there was like a fight of like who's going to get in the pod or something. Oh, okay. And I thought maybe the one underwater also gets reactivated and they basically follow each other out. Like Fade gets in a pod first and then Mark manages to get in some other pod and like follows him. But then that's when like... Mark shows up later on Earth, you know, so Thade had already. So I, but that doesn't happen. It's literally Mark is in the escape pod. He leaves the chimpanzee behind. He hops back in the little flight thing, goes back through the storm and ends up on Earth. And Thade had already been there. He's now dead. But now there's this whole like ape society, ape Earth. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how Thade got there. Because he was locked in, he was locked in like a piloting room, but there was no indication that there was another ship there. There was no indication there was another ship there. There was no, no. there was no line, like I said, there was no line of dialogue to Im- imply the possibility of something getting, being wonky with time, with the time travel. I, I yeah, I have a weakness for time travel in the opposite way that I love that shit. So <laughs> whenever it shows up in something, I'm like, like I did an episode on, Ninja Turtles uh, 3, which is the one where they go back to feudal Japan. And I was like, man, I should love this because time travel, but also uh, everything else. Uh, <laughs> so it's, I like the idea of the time travel, but it's not, the, the foundation isn't laid for anyone to walk out of this movie feeling satisfied or feeling any other than motion other than, huh? And I think that's a problem if you're trying to relaunch a franchise and there was, you know, there was hope for a sequel because this did, uh, this cost $100 million and it made $362 million worldwide, which is, you know, it turned a solid profit. Yeah. But I think that the the fans and, and or critics or whatever just kind of soured on it after a while and they were just like, ah, eh, forget it. Nobody cares. <laughs> um, do, would you have liked to see in a sequel? Like how would this ending would have worked for you in a sequel where they could have like expounded on it a little bit? Yeah, you know, because it, it did post something interesting. And like I said, like, I do like the ending. I just don't know how we got there. Like, yeah. I just don't know how we arrived at that ending. Um, but I think I had read somewhere that Mark Wahlberg and Helena Bonham Carter were basically, like, signed on for any sequel that happened. Like, the story was going to continue with Ari and... So somehow with Ari and somehow with Captain Leo Davidson, but both of the mm-hmm. same actors were attached. But obviously that never happened. Um, I think, I mean, it's not my favorite franchise. And again, I think it's all just just kind of silly in general. But yeah, yeah, I would have liked to have seen, because I, again, like I, I'm happy we're talking about this because I didn't hate it. Like I don't, I don't hate this movie. I think it's yeah. fine. 
Um, well, I mean, that is, that is kind of your whole brand. Yeah, it is fair. my whole brand. But like based on, you know, if you look at Letterboxd, it's like one star, you right. know, one and a half stars. Like, I don't think it's that bad. I'd say it's more misguided than anything. Like there are elements of it. Obviously, we already talked about a couple of the performances yeah. that work. The makeup really works. All the practical, like all of the, it, it does seem like it's mostly practical effects. Like there's obviously, like it looks like actors on wires when they do those crazy leaps. It's not <laughs> yeah. CG doubles with the, the wonky, like the plastic bodies kind of flapping around. Uh, like you get a, a couple years, like the next year in Spider-Man, there's a little bit of that issue now going back to watch it. Or uh, some of the other stuff, the superhero movies that came out in the mid two thousands, where you're the the CG has aged pretty badly. Uh, so visually, I, I feel like it holds up. Narratively, it's a bit muddled. And like I said, Mark Wahlberg was miscast. You put a different actor in there, you tighten the screenplay a little bit. I think it, it could have it could have been a more successful relaunch. Uh, I did I did find even like the the ape uh, the ape society and all the ape politics like. There's a sequence in this movie, which I know it's supposed to establish the way humans are treated and all of that. But there's a whole sequence where Thade is like interacting with Limbo, which the other issue I have is none of these character names are particularly established in the movie very well, except for Thade and Captain Leo Davidson, because he says his name, if you think a few times, everyone else, you have to be like, who was, what was that person? That the blonde lady, what was her, what's her name? Like, I don't even think they say Estella Warren's character in this, uh, her name in this movie. Uh, it's. I do agree with you. I was Diana, De- Dana, by Dana. the way. De- yeah, De- yeah. De- I I do agree with you there about knowing like who the character names were. <laughs> yeah, and that sounds like a simple, stupid thing, but it's also like if you don't know who these people are, you don't, you can't really attach yourself emotionally to them. I, that's why the ones that we've talked about the most that really work are Ari and Thade, because we understand where they are in their lives and what their choices are. And she, the whole thing with Ari getting branded by Thade, I think is really interesting. And it, it, it's, you know, it comes back into play in an emotional way a couple times in the finale when Thade is, is uh, trapped in there and he's trying to appeal to her. Cause you know, he's like, Hey, Hey, get me out of here. Like, you know, that he wanted to marry her and she's like, you're a cold bastard. Never mind. Um, <laughs> and he puts the hand up and she puts her hand up and then, and he sees, you know, we see the brand and she just waves bye bye. Like that was a satisfying moment a few minutes later where, uh, or earlier, I forget when it's in the same area of the film when Ari is kind of knocked out. I think it's before. Cause I think it's Thade that does it, uh, in the battle. And then Dana sees the, the brand on her hand, realizing what she sacrificed to, to, you know, to defend the humans, all of that, like some of that stuff really works. There's good stuff in there. It's just hard to get to at times. It's hard to focus on because some of the other stuff doesn't doesn't quite work as well as it perhaps should. It's also interesting. Like, it's funny how you said, you know, tighten up the script. I agree, but I also feel like. More. I feel like more. And I'm not like advocating that every movie obviously needs to be three hours or every movie needs to be 90, even though I'm a huge advocate for like, I love a tight 90. I think in the space that we get, we get a decent amount of world building and a decent Mm. amount of religion. Um, But I think, yeah, I think there are some things that maybe needed to be elongated. Like I almost get the sense that there was more, but they edited it down to two hours. Mm. Um, 
this would be an interesting movie. Not that anyone would even do it now, especially since Tim Burton was quoted as saying, like, I'd rather jump out a window than direct a sequel to this uh, when that was being talked about. So there's no way he would oversee it. But it would be interesting if there is a lot of deleted footage, like a director's cut of this, like, because yeah, again, I'm just curious because I feel those like are the interesting ones. Yeah, yeah like the the battle is supposed to be like the huge, you know, climax to the film, but it doesn't seem big enough. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know. It just it's the end. It's it's how we get to the ending that bothers me because there's no indication that Fade had ever left that planet like beforehand, right? Right. Like there's no indicate. Like there's no indication that he left the planet before Mark Wahlberg got there or that he left the planet after, after, Even, after, yeah. but like Mark left first. So then in theory, like, I don't know. I just, it, I it works backwards. I mean, Pericles. So like Pericles left before, uh, Leo, you know, he's, his, he was sent out and he was out there for who knows how long hours, days, whatever. And, and then eventually they were like, Oh, we're going to leave him out there. And, and Leo was like, no, I'm going to go get my monkey. <laughs> He's like, I got to go out there. They won't let me fly. That's his whole, his whole arc is I want to fly. And then I'm just going to, you know, take a pod and go after it. Like his, basically his arc in this is I've been an asshole, haven't I? And we're like, yeah, kind of. And that, that's his, that's his pretty much his character arc for this movie. Um, so he left a shorter amount of time after Pericles than they presumably left after him. And so Pericles landed a little bit after him. I don't, I mean, it's, it's just, it, yeah, it's, and it's I'm okay turby. with that as far as like wormholes go. Right. And time, to, but the fact that we don't see Fade trapped with another spaceship or we don't see Fade being let out and then goes to yeah. the lake where he had murdered the other, you know, like yeah. the, the gorilla henchman. Like we don't see that. Even if like, the camera had like panned over and in the back of where Fade was being trapped, we see like, a, like a crack in the wall or something where it's like, oh, there's an indication he can get out of there at some point. Like something to give us, like to connect those dots, yeah. I think would have been, would have been helpful. Yeah, I agree. I actually agree with that. Okay. Cause I was hoping I would understand, like I was, <laughs> I was like hoping maybe I was. No, just, it doesn't try. It doesn't, that's the thing. Not, it's, uh, you it's, know, cause like I said, I, I don't understand time travel. So I was hoping right. maybe you could like shed some light as to what I missed, but. <laughs> I mean, he, the, you have to take the, the leap that he got out of there at some point, weeks, months, however later. And then because he left so much after Leo, he ended up getting there earlier. So it's like the later you, the more time in between the, the more the the early like the later you leave the earlier you arrive at the other place essentially um but he knew nothing backwards. about it's the like, like vortex thing he knew nothing yeah. about how to power shooting a gun like learning how to shoot a gun and pulling a trigger is not the same thing as like right flying Piloting a craft thing. or understanding yeah. that there are black holes and wormholes and like electrical well, storms like <laughs> well pericles knew how to fly it so maybe he kidnapped Pericles. there's a whole another movie there of they'd breaking out, kidnapping Pericles, making him fly some spacecraft well, that he true. finds. Yeah, that's true. Because Pericles <laughs> said, the other thing. was like enhanced. His DNA was like spliced. Yeah. So he was like that all the chimps were like smarter than the average chimp. Um, the one, the one like morsel they give you for why, th- how that, how th- that twist might be possible is that, uh, one of the characters, I think it's the Kari Hiroyuki Sonata character, the whose name again 
as the crawl again yeah. this movie's not great on establishing character names i he tells leo like fade is going to come for you no matter what and he's like yeah i'm counting on it um or whatever <laughs> um so that's like the one little thing they give you that oh he went after him he just followed his trajectory somehow i guess uh presumably what? a sequel would have explained that yeah <laughs> they he repairs the the ship the fuels like maybe it, remember they blow the fuel uh and it's like their big his big weapon for the battle yeah and maybe they maybe it recharged or he found an alternate fuel source again the movie doesn't that that's why this twist doesn't feel satisfying it's because it's not the kind of it's not the kind of twist like the sixth sense or one of these other famous ones where you go back and you're like oh everything makes sense now it's the kind of twist where they're they're playing a plot point that you didn't even know was on the board and and leaving you to be like ah see didn't i blow your mind I'm like wait what is happening uh, you didn't know that we were doing that no you didn't <laughs> like i didn't even know we were, what what's happening now who are you what game are we playing like you know they didn't they didn't establish the rules properly enough for that to be in a possibility, let alone, you know, the cliffhanger ending that this one and done movie is going to sit on. I, I agree. It's not earned. Like, right. I, I like the twist, but there's nothing that leads up before or after. Like, there's no this was kind of before, like end credit scenes or like mid credit scenes. So, like, you could have even wrapped it up with like a mid credit scene that sort of explains, you know. And not everything needs to be explained in a movie, but I feel like right. this is something that needed a little more. <laughs> Given the legacy of this film, I'd say most people agree with you. <laughs> but um, I think I think the legacy of this film is a little bit unfair. Like yeah. I think people were comparing it so ferociously to the classic and iconic, you know, 1968 version that yeah. They were going to be disappointed. Like they went in with low expectations and then they, there's nothing you could have done that would have like changed their mind. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, aside from maybe some miscasting of a few things, like I don't, I don't, I don't think it's as terrible as people say it is. Yeah. No, I agree with, I agree with you and your podcast. This movie is fine. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's watchable. It's not yeah. great. It's not dog shit it's like it's in the middle there's like there's that's the fun part of of doing this this podcast especially with franchises like there's always there's always installments that like oh that's the bad one and i'm like uh it, the the weaker one but even in bad movies there's interesting stuff to be gleaned from it and i think this one is no exception like like we said tim roth is fun in this i think helena bonham carter is good in this i think like we said all the things that we we mentioned uh I, I yeah, I think that the story wasn't quite there. It was, it's not as polished as I would I think it would like to be. But you know, they tried something, and I think they also maybe were, maybe they might have been even leaning on the fact that they were going to make a sequel to this a little too hard. You know, you see how yeah. people make movies, and then some people like leave things off the table because they're like, ah, maybe in the next one we'll do that. For example, today, as of this recording, they, they announced that like they're doing the, the new Mortal Kombat movie, the sequel to the 2021 movie is, is uh, filming soon or whatever. But in that first movie, they don't even have a tournament. And that pissed a lot of fans off because I think that movie is like, ah, we'll get to the tournament next time, the tournament. And that, fans are like, well, what, what is that? That's 
Yeah, that's that what it is. A big thing with like my friends group because we all logged on because this was obviously during the pandemic. Yeah, and so like we logged on to like Zoom and we all muted our mics, but we all like press play at the same time, you know. So like, right, we were that's all cool. watching it together, and I remember like all of us were kind of upset about that. And then you had people online that were like, they're setting everything up. They're going to show it in the next movie. Everyone needs to chill out. And I was like, but then don't maybe call it Mortal Kombat or call it like Mortal Kombat the beginning or like, I don't know. Something. It's not like Lord of the Rings where they're green lighting three movies off the bat and you're like, next couple years, we'll get there. It's already happening. It's It was unclear. Characters that you're used to seeing in the actual tournament so like now what are they going to do? Like, right. yeah. So I, I, I agree with you. I, I, I probably a sequel would have more explained mm-hmm. like a flashback of how we got to, you know, where we are with the apes at the Lincoln Memorial and stuff, but you can't base your movie on a future movie that may or may not happen. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Like, yeah, they, they, it, this should have been able to stand on its own. And I think had they approached it with that mindset at the forefront, it might've been a little tighter. It might've been a little clearer. And then they still could have had that ending, but have it work as its own movie instead of a setup for, for, for what would have been kind of an interesting movie. Like I'm down with that, a planet of the, of the apes, but you know, modern modernized basically where earth is just kind of, it, it's, it's an interesting inverse of, of the original film where in the original movie it was earth all along. And then in this one, they just kind of retroactively changes earth to become a planet of apes. I think that it's, there was, there's room for, for interesting uh, storytelling that we just never got it. But a couple other things I wanted to mention that I thought were interesting. Uh, Let's see. There was Linda Harrison had a cameo in this movie. She was in the original two films as well. Uh, I didn't even spot her. I had to look it up and be like, oh, that was her. Cool. Um, the 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 movie tries to build up a rivalry, rivalry between Leo and Thade that I don't think really works because they barely share screen time. I think, it, you know, at the end when they're sort of looking for each other in the crowd, it was very Batman and Bane kind of been like, and now our big showdown. Um, I, I don't really think that that worked 100% because I feel like that wasn't uh, they didn't build to that it didn't feel like to borrow your phrase it didn't feel earned um, so the whole thing with Pericles showing up and they're like it's Simos he's back he's ape Jesus essentially <laughs> did you what do you do you think this movie has anything legitimate to say about like what do you think the religious commentary in this movie is do you think that they're pro anti because clearly anti gun like do you do you think that the, the film has a perspective on that or they're just throwing it in there uh, as part of the the soup and the world building. You know, I don't know. Cause I also, I mean, Tim Burton may be the director, but he isn't the writer. Right. Right. So depend, you know, um, I think that's a really tough question. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's flat out. I religion because the, Mm -hmm. the, the original franchise also had religion in there. Like you said, right. the senators were also like kind of priest priest like. Well, I think uh, the commentary or, there is that the the politics like there was no separation of church and state. Like literally, the same character is like minister of you know uh, the sciences and also like guardian of the the faith or whatever. Like he has a title that's literally those two things combined, which I think it's it's kind of warning against those those two concepts being uh, you know interchangeable, perhaps. I mean. 
there is there is a line that I thought was really interesting and highlighted, and I can't remember it verbatim, but basically it's it's Mark Wahlberg saying, it's not blank, it's science. Right. Uh, sorcery. I forget, I forget yeah, what, sorcery, the blank, yeah. what the blank is. Like, it's not magic, it's science, or something like that. It was sorcery, I think. Okay, it's not sorcery, it's science. Yeah. Um, I think... I mean, at worst, it was a half-baked attempt to establish a Christ-like figure within this ape community mm-hmm. um, to show similarities. I mean, it would be interesting if there was like a holy book, because we always say that the Bible was written by men, but that the words of God were being like spoken right. to, you know, through these through these men that wrote the Bible. So I think. I, I wasn't I wasn't like offended one way or the other. I didn't really give it too much thought. I just thought it yeah. helped to kind of add to their world and also explain like Tim, uh, Tim Roth had no respect for Simos or Pericles. Like he throws the poor chimp against the wall and it's like mm-hmm. limping. Um, so he's military over like opiate of the masses. Right. So I think it's, it's more just, I don't know. I'm talking myself in circles. I'm sorry. I really don't have that. <laughs> no, I, I think the, the movie raises a lot of, not even questions. It, <laughs> it tries to, it brings in elements, but then doesn't really raise questions with them. I think it's kind of my point. Like it, 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 it tries to have religion and spiritualism as part of this world, but it doesn't really do much with them except like I didn't feel like Atar's turn felt believable because I I don't know I think I don't think it it didn't I I, I don't know it just I think you and I are just like I don't know what this movie anymore <laughs> at this point it's just yeah it just didn't feel like it was it, it meshed with the rest of the story or something in a certain way I, I'm not sure uh, Atar is the Michael Clark Duncan character by the way because it gets it gets confusing yeah. remember at the end he's like oh everything I've known is a lie and I'm like. Wait, what? Because a, a monkey came from the sky? Like I don't. Sorry, ape. I like, and I love how they they also have that uh, de, that distinction between apes and monkeys. Right? How that, monkeys they, are just above humans, and they're like that was great. Yeah, food chain or their like hierarchy. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, maybe if there was a scene with like Colonel Atar doing some sort of prayer or like ritual, right? Because he was definitely a believer. Right, exactly. Um, but he was also serving Thade in the military, which is interesting. He's sort of stuck I, in the middle, but you don't really feel it in the way that I think you're supposed to. I mean, it would have been nice to maybe see a more religious sect of yeah. of apes or maybe like the, they, the implication is that they're not the only civilization on this planet made of apes, right? Because right. like the humans have been pushed out to the like borderlands kind of thing. But that there are the implication is that there are more apes elsewhere, and I think that probably is way too much for a for, for like the first movie. But I think that would have been interesting, like to because they start to lay the seed of different classes. Like you've got the you know the senators and the that was wealth, right? Right. And you could own a human. Um, that poor little girl in the cage. I know. That was sad. <laughs> The single tear, like through the yeah. dirt on her face. Um, but again, that's the kind of thing that this franchise does. We're like, oh, the poor little girl in the cage. But meanwhile, 
other people have people have animals in cages and they're like, that's fine. That's where they belong. It's all good. Like zoos, the whole concept of zoos comes up in this movie. Yeah. And and they're like, why would they why would they put up with that? Like, oh, our apes don't our apes don't talk. It's like maybe they just choose not to because of the way you treat them. Like that stuff, more of that stuff. I liked all that. I did I did like that line of dialogue. Um I don't know. I think the religion thing was more of a plot device than an a- yeah, than an outward definitely. like religion is silly and made up and but I mean it is interesting because there are parts of obviously like Christianity that are rooted in paganism and mm-hmm. it was so that way you could convert the pagans by keeping some of their tradition like so it I mean it is kind of interesting but I think I think you and I may be both reading too much into it. I think we're giving more thought to it <laughs> like than more the credit. screenwriters. For sure, yeah. definitely. Uh I I it's it's also they have Ari and Leo kiss uh, in the end of this movie which is sort of an homage to uh Charlton Heston's character Taylor and uh Kim Hunter's character Zira kissing for no reason at the, at the end of the first movie which is weird. And then he kisses uh, Dana also, and she just runs away. That's just very strange. Like, yeah, that, I didn't think any of like I thought there was no chemistry between him and Dana. No, not even yeah, not even at all. Like there was more chemistry with him and Ari than anything else. Yeah, and you um, don't know anything about like they don't have any like late night campfire talks, right? Right. Like, you don't really. And yeah, the, I know that the kiss was homage. Like I, I know it just yeah. felt. It felt forced. It's shoehorned in there for sure. Yeah. yeah. They're like, oh, we got to have some some things so that the original people can do the Leo pointing to the screen thing. Leo, not this Leo. Leo <laughs> yeah. DiCaprio now. Now it's getting confused coming back around the other way. Like if uh, he Leo's kissed revenge. her on the cheek or something, that maybe would have made more sense because he did come to have more of a, like he was less bigoted towards yes, them by the definitely. end. So it shows that there's like a, a change within him. But she's the only one that's, like, attracted to him. Like, she's mm-hmm. the only one there. she's, like, visibly attracted to Mark's character. Right. And he never gives an inkling that he, like, is also attracted to her. And I just think it was, it was needless, what do they call it? Fan service? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think so. Uh, and it's also watching it now as this being sort of the transition movie between Tim Burton being with Lisa Marie and Tim Burton being with Helena Bonham Carter while, you know, kind of falling for her, I guess, while directing her in ape makeup. I, it's, you know, that is a whole, that reads a whole other thing. into Tim Burton's uh, personal taste that I don't really want to get into. Um, but I, I like know. also, I, I love that Glenn Shaddix is in this movie. Glenn Shaddix who played Otho in Beetlejuice yes! and uh, the mayor of Halloween town. Uh, he, he, you know, he's the, the orangutan who is, uh, who's with the Lisa Maria character. I know, he, which is hilarious. During that whole right? scene. It's just great. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love, I think Glenn Shaddix is a real asset to all the Tim Burton movies that he's in, like the ones I mentioned. So RIP Glenn Shaddix. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of, uh, Tim Burton collaborators, I do think the Danny Elfman score is pretty solid. It's a lot of percussion, percussion based, which fits the, the aesthetic of this movie. Uh, and Danny Elfman rarely just phones things in. I think, you know, he's usually pretty reliable, especially when he's working with Tim Burton. Yeah, I honestly, except for kind of the opening credits, I didn't even really, you know, quote unquote, hear a lot of Elfman. Yeah. Like it, it, in the score. And listening to it in isolation, it does sound, a, a, there are places where it sounded a little bit like his Spider-Man score. Okay. Uh, 
which was the year after this. So I wonder if he was like scoring both of them sort of in rapid succession and it's like <laughs> kind of bled together in his head a little bit. Um, but yeah, but yeah, it's always fun to, to hear Danny Elfman music in a movie. Um, before we start moving on and wrapping up, is there anything about this movie that I haven't mentioned that you wanted to make sure we threw out there? Um, I don't think so. I just think, I mean, I encourage people to even just read the Wikipedia page for this movie. Um, cause the, the his like the development of this movie, they'd been wanting to do more apes movies since the late eighties. Yeah. Like you had, uh, uh, like Tom Cruise, in the 80s, like in in talks for like an apes movie, you had Oliver Stone and Sam Raimi in talks to be directors in the early 90s. Like just reading the development, this is a weird series. Yeah, it <laughs> is. Like, I think the closest one was they got Arnold Schwarzenegger and Philip Noyce who did like um, The Bone Collector and the, the two Harrison Ford, Jack Ryan movies, Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger, that he was going to do it like in the mid 90s. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it's basically every director had a crack at it. It's like when they, that long period where there was no Superman movies and it's like Tim Burton was going to make it. Kevin Smith was writing it at one point. You're like, wait, what? Nicolas Cage? Like there's all these like legendary stories of movies that could have been. Uh, yeah, so I, I, you know, I think... Both of us would agree, like, if you saw this 20 years ago and you're like, oh, it's terrible, you know, maybe revisit it. Especially since if you're if you're listening to these episodes or you're going to watch uh, the new one next year, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes in 2024. Like, there might be, you might be surprised there's some some things in here that are, are enjoyable, even if it's kind of, you know, cluttered a bit by things that are, are a little, fall, falling a little short of where, of their potential. But. Yeah. But yeah. So there's there's always good stuff. There's usually I should I should rephrase that. There's usually good stuff, even in in quote unquote bar, bad movies. Um, but having seen more than half and like the 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 main ones in this franchise, what is what do you think is sort of in your uh, in your mind? What is the legacy of Planet of the Apes as a brand as a franchise? What is its kind of contribution to cinema? I mean, the fact that the original is still you can still pack houses, right? The fact yeah. you can still like pack theater houses and the fact that it's just been a huge part of our pop culture and like in our zeitgeist for like however many years, what is it now? Like 50 years or something? 55 yeah. years? 55, I think, yeah. Is really amazing. Um, I... As much as I actually was surprised and enjoyed the original, I think the the new trilogy, soon to be quadrilogy, um, of apes movies are really something else, and I think really take the base idea mm-hmm. and subvert it in such a really really great way. Like I think the three movies that we have, you know, from the twenty tens, are very good. Uh, and I would say are now again, I haven't seen the sequels to the original, but I think I think surpass the original in a lot of ways just because yeah. of modern day society and the ideas we we have towards other people and the ideas we have towards animal testing and species and religion. And like I I think it's kind of incredible that there's been able to be a 
a renaissance of apes movies, to be honest. And it took a decade after this movie's this movie for them to finally be like, all right, we found a new entry point. <laughs> we yeah, found a way completely to new, like it's yeah. completely different yeah. from yeah, yeah, a lot of people can you can go into the rise of the planet of the apes, not barely knowing what the hell this franchise is, and you're like, oh, okay, I get it, and you're on board. Um and it's a testament to the strength of the recent iteration of this franchise that pretty much across the board, talking to people for these episodes or on Letterboxd or like Rotten Tomatoes, et cetera, like the, all of the highest rated high, held highest in, in highest esteem of this, these friend of this, these nine movies, it's the 68 movie and it's the three new ones, like all the other stuff. Some people like, some people don't. So it's somewhere in the middle, but everyone is always like the original film and the three with Andy Serkis. And I yeah. think that that's incredible that like, it's like 45 years into this franchise, they finally, in, in the populace, uh, in the popular opinion, I guess, they, they nailed it. They, they finally figured out how to make uh, the ape franchise live to, you know, to its fullest potential. And it's, it's the franchise that actually has me like caring about the franchise in general and yeah. caring about the movies yeah. in general. Um, like I said, like I've, I have honestly, I know this is probably terrible coming from like, you know, someone who views themselves as, you know, a cinema lover, but I don't really have an interest in seeing the sequels to the original one. It's just mm-hmm. not, um, even the original is not a movie that really like, yeah, sure. It blew me away, but I also was like, I've seen it. I'm good. Right. I don't really want to see more. <laughs> well, I mean, you also, with the most recent ones, you have that whatever curiosity you have about like, hmm, what are they going to do with that premise? Like you have that, that itch has already been scratched. You're like, I have one. I have a Planet of the Apes franchise. I don't need to go back and watch the other ones. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the general, the general view that people have. I still, I think those four movies, well, hmm, I haven't, <laughs> Battle is a little weaker. Uh, I do think Beneath takes some interesting chances. I do legitimately think Escape and Conquest have a lot of good ideas going on. Uh, so I would encourage people that are that do that are maybe want to see those movies to go ahead and find them. Okay. Uh, but if you're if you're really not into it, like I get it, it's totally fine. Like you see, the like I said, the first one. I think that the 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 thing is that Beneath the Planet of the Apes, Escape and Conquest and Battle, like none of them have been really none of them are, are part of the pop cultural sphere anymore. Like they're all, like I was saying earlier, they're all sort of lost to time and none of them are, are impactful in any way. Like people just skip past those. And I think the fun of doing this franchise is going back and being like, but is there anything worthwhile there? Like, like kind of with this one as well, because I think, like I said, for the most part, people are like the original movie and the new ones. And then yeah, there was stuff in between, but we can skip all that. Like that's that's five movies in between, uh, and there's a lot of weird choices and interesting angles that they try, and and yeah, I think we both agree nothing has quite worked the way that the the most recent three movies have uh, have. So I'm gonna assume that your general ranking is those three uh, at the top. Which of the three do you actually prefer, Rise, Dawn, or War? Oh man, it has been a long time since I've seen all three, but I think the the third one, so War. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I think for me it would probably be three, two, one, and that doesn't mean that one is the weaker. Right. One, it just obviously it's the setup film. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and two and three are able to explore just more. 
themes and everything, you know. So the first one's important, but like I think they've gotten better mm-hmm. as so hopefully that bodes well for the fourth. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll find out with Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. It's uh, it's not Matt Reeves doing it because now he's fully committed to the Batman and uh, the Penguin and whatever other <laughs> the spinoffs he comes up with next. Um, I just like the the naming structure. Like, give me the Catwoman. Like, give me right? more. Yeah, th- that should be the next. Like, if they do the Batman Part Two and then they do another HBO Max, sorry, Max spinoff in the middle, uh, just give me the Catwoman in the middle between two and three or whatever. Like, I like all that stuff. Um, yeah, so it's uh, Wes Ball who did the Maze Runner movies, which I've never seen. I've heard her good, so now I'm gonna have to go back and watch those <laughs> watch those movies. Oh, I've to never seen get a sense those either. That was kind of I aged out of you know the young adult. Yeah, same. Games, and I was like, like uh, I saw Hunger Games. Do I have to? Uh. Yeah, exactly. I've got, like the dystopia movies, like Illusion. right. I I never got past some of the Hunger Games movies. I haven't even seen them all. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but hey, you know, like maybe the Maze Runner movies, even if the script isn't great, the directing is great. Like, yeah, because you know, exactly. he's obviously just directing it, not writing it. So as far as I know, right. Do you know who the writer uh, is? God, I don't, I, I should probably find that out. He, he might be, who the hell knows anymore? Um, oh, let me okay. see this while I have it on here. Doo, doo, doo. Yeah, he's not, he's not writing it, but there's a couple writers from Rise, War, uh, Rise, Dawn and War who are still involved with Kingdom. So oh, that's that, good. Okay. That bodes well. So I'm, yeah, there's some continuity at least. Uh, but yeah, so Planet of the Apes, interesting franchise. I'm, I'm glad you came on to talk to me about this one. Like I said, this is this is where everyone, I think this is one of the episodes where the listenership will either grow or or drop significantly, <laughs> uh, depending on how people feel about this one. Uh, but thank you so much, Lauren Knight, from coming on to for coming on to talk about Planet of the Apes from 2001. Can you tell people where they can find you on social media? Sure, uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and even Letterboxd at That Movie Is Fine, and um, you can also follow the That Movie Is Fine podcast on Instagram and TMIF Pod on Twitter uh, that I I co-host with my buddy Aaron Hudson. Awesome. So it sounds like. Maybe a Planet of the Apes 2001 episode or something coming up on your show. I think like, it could be really interesting just I think to so. kind of reappraise it because that's what we kind of like to do on our podcast yeah. is, you know, not real. We don't do a lot of mainstream movies. We talk about right. a lot of like cult or exploitation movies or things that we think maybe got a bad rap that should be reclamation projects. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can get so down that. It, it seems interesting. Like. Yeah, I could maybe see a Planet of the Apes 2001 episode just because of how much everyone says they hate it. Right. I don't think I think it's I think it's a little bit overkill. (laughs) Well, yeah, everybody gets involved now, especially everyone's in the echo chamber that is Twitter. Yeah. Like we hate that. Right. Yeah, I guess so. Never seen it. But you say it's bad. So sure. Yeah. Um, So there's a lot of that. There's a lot of people bitching about this movie on Twitter that weren't born when this movie came out probably. So, <laughs> you know, maybe see things. It's the reason that much to my dismay, I've seen all the twilight movies because everyone was talking about them. And I was like, well, I'm not going to give my opinion if I haven't seen them, like see things for yourself and then form your opinion people. And I think, like we said, there's, there's, we've talked for over an hour about this movie. There's things in here that are worth discussing. So 
people people find that movie is fine podcast on your podcatcher of choice and subscribe. Maybe we can get Lauren to to bring uh, bring this movie over to her show. I'm bringing it back. I'm bringing. There's gonna yeah. be a resurgence of uh, a re- reappraisal for this one. Hey, hey, how did these monkeys get like this? Like just doing the doing the Marky Mark voice is funny enough. Yes. So that's that's worth it. That's worth it in and of itself. You do a good job. You do a good oh, imitation, thanks. Robert. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thanks, Lauren. Big thanks to Lauren Knight from That Movie Is Fine for coming on to discuss 2001's Planet of the Apes. Uh, divisive? Question mark. I, I don't even know if it's. I don't even feel like it's it's divisive anymore. I just feel like it's pretty generally loathed across the board. And you know that doesn't mean there's not elements of it that are worth giving a tip of the hat to, as Lauren and I mentioned. There's not, there, there are a few things to call out about it that do actually work, much to our surprise. This was the first time I'd watched this movie in probably a couple decades. It's been a long time, and I was a big fan of it then, so, you know, I still have a modicum of respect for it now, uh, even though I'll get to my overall ranking of the franchise uh, down the line uh, when we get to the final episode. But I want to know... Have you seen Planet of the Apes 2001 in any time in the last couple of decades or at all? Because I feel like a lot of people just hate on this movie without ever having seen it. And I think see it for yourself. If you hate it, then you hate it. If you love it, then you love it. Let's let's all respect each other's opinions here. Anyway, you can find me on Twitter at Crooked Table. Same handle on Instagram via email at Robert at CrookedTable.com. For now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. We'll be back next episode with... The rise of the planet of the apes as we start the reboot trilogy starring Andy Serkis. That should be an interesting round of episodes and bringing this mega series to a strong close, strong open, strong close, some fun random detours in the middle there. But that'll be next episode as we we chronicle the apes rise to power. And uh, we'll see you then. Until then, catch you at the next stop, everyone. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of the little KED.